Hi, good day, everybody. On the chat with Matt tonight is the very prolific and funky children's book author, Chris Collin. G'day, Chris, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Good to catch up again. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? It sure has. Yeah, yeah. It's been an interesting year uh, or, or two. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's been probably about 18 months since we caught up the last time. Something like I that. I think so. Yeah. yeah, it would be. It would be 2019. I I think it was middle yeah. of the year. So um, yeah, there's a bit bit of water under the bridge since then. That's for sure. In many ways. <laughs> totally. Now, now, Chris, you're a, like like I said, a prolific author. You've got you know um, a bug called Doug, and you've got your Funky Chicken series, um, which is awesome. Uh, for for the emerging writer, I was just curious, where do you get your ideas from? Uh, ideas. Well, for me, the uh, inspiration ideas for all of my books has come about from things that I've experienced, really, and just random chance things. So just to use the funky chicken books as a bit of an example, Matt, um, I will pluck a couple of them out because um, I love talking about this stuff because, um, you know, inspiration and ideas, uh, this is what it's all about. And I, I, I really believe that uh, if you've had a a personal experience or you have a connection to something or an interest in something, um, it's something you, that you, um, it might come a bit more naturally to you to write a story about it. If you've, um, if you're creating something from an experience of some description, yeah, so, yeah. um, the funky chicken, uh, that, that was his first adventure, a bushy tail of crocs and chooks. Um, I actually wrote that as a play for school camp many years ago. Uh, my son, Sam, who's now 27, uh, no, 28, um, he was uh, about 11 years old and I was a parent volunteer at school camp and I wrote that one in the middle of the night as a play that we acted out for the amusement of the teachers and the children way back in 2005. And about seven years later, um, I turned that into my first book. So when people say to me, where did you get that idea for Funky Chicken? I tell people that he was actually born in a tent because <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> so, um, and then this is a really interesting one too, uh, Matt, uh, was Funky Chicken Chooks in Space. Yeah. Now, this one is um, quite special to me. And when I um, visit schools and talk to kids, um, I talked about the inspiration um, with this one because it happened so quickly, this book. Um, um, basically, in 2013, I think it was, the theme for Book Week was um, Read Across the Universe. And I made a casual um a casual comment to my wife, Nadia, um, I should write a, a, a silly story about the theme for book week that I could read to the kids during book week. So this was only a couple of days before the first day of book week started. And um, she actually went downstairs and she made this funky looking rocket ship out of a uh, an old cardboard box and she put a lava lamp on the top of it and and uh, wrapped up all the silly funky wrapping paper around it and said there's your rocket ship now write a story now in her rocket ship she also had a funky chicken toy so obviously it was going to have to be a story about um, something to do with funky chicken so I wrote a silly story um, called funky chicken chooks in space uh, about funky chicken going out into the into the universe looking for other funky creatures and um, the interesting thing, though, Matt, we're at the, the point I'm eventually going to get to, is uh, that um, when I read that story, I, I drafted up, I stayed up for two nights um, until the sun came up and, and wrote a, a, a manuscript that was probably um, okay enough to read in the classroom as a, as a rough draft. So it was really good to show the kids, uh, uh, you know, where I, an idea can come from 
a work in progress. And um, But the magical thing was with this book, I, I was asking the kids all that week, I asked them to close their eyes and imagine where some of those, um, what, some of those illustrations, what they could be. And uh, some of their ideas, we'd write them down on the whiteboard and things, and, and some of their ideas actually ended up uh, in that book. And um, to, uh, uh, without giving a whole heap away about this story, um, Funky Chicken eventually, um, where is she? Um, the Queen of Ween. I'm looking for the Queen of Ween. Okay, she... Um, she directs him back to uh, back to Earth. She points her finger uh, to show him the way because he realizes that um, he didn't really have any real connections to any of these strange creatures um, in outer space. So um, he headed back to Earth and he, he crash landed into the chicken coop. Um, so there were bits of chicken coop and hens and eggs flying everywhere. So he had to design another one. And um, our amazing illustrator, um, Megan, where is she? She is somewhere there. Yeah, <laughs> Megan yeah, Gibson. Yeah. Um, when Megan drew this uh, blueprint for a chook house, um, uh, a plan so Funky Chicken could build another one, she thought it looked too much like an adult had had, um, had sketched it. So she got her five-year-old son, Harry, to copy what she did, and that's what we published. So um, magical connection to the kids um, with that one. And some of those ideas that they had for those illustrations were, um, you know, really powerful Um and 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 they ended up in the story so um and yeah. it's a great reminder of how powerful is the kids imaginations are. And, and one of the one of the things you said there was when you were talking about like your manuscript was you know rough enough to be able to to, to be able to read but not polished enough for for publication but you still went and tested it with the target audience which is a great way to get that sort of feedback so yeah and for me Matt, that that's one of the rules i break i guess um there's a few rules that I seem to break in um, publishing um, kids' books. Um, and one of them is that, for me, I want the story, the story needs to stand up on its own as a story with, if it's um, read aloud with no pictures. Um, yeah. the, so the, the pictures in, in most of my books um, support rather than tell half the story. And, and um, a, a lot of um, publishers wouldn't go down that track. But the reason that we did it was because, as you... Um, would know our books are, are musical books so we have a song and I also narrate the stories to music and um, the reason that we did that was we wanted to create stories that could stand up on their own that kids with um, visual disabilities um, or audio disabilities for that matter could yep. all enjoy um, the stories and not uh, and not miss out by not being able to um, see what the pictures were telling so um, that was really important and and for that story chooks in space it was wonderful for the kids just to close their eyes because they they get the story they love the story and then um their imaginations just went crazy with some of the um ideas for what they could be so um yeah that's a that's a, another valid point and, and something that i try and get across when i when i um talk about writing for picture books is picture books the the term picture books is so broad that it covers you know everything from a board book all the way up to a illustrated storybook um, and what, you know, like there's three different styles of illustration. You've got the symmetrical illustration, which um, matches the text exactly for the very young uh, end of the target audience, for the very young reader, so that the picture says exactly what the text says. Then you've got the complementary one, which is what you're talking about, where the text stands alone and the pictures enhance or add more value to it. And then you have the contradictory one, which is, where the text and the images don't match at all, but they still end up with a cohesive story at the end, which is hilarious. Um, so the story does need to be able to stand by itself. And a lot of the publishers that I talk with, they actually do want 
the story to be able to stand by itself. And especially when you try and write in rhyme, they don't like it, as you probably know. Um, but the story still has to stand by itself if it wasn't written in rhyme. So, yeah, it's an excellent point when it comes to that whole um, matching of illustrations and, and text. The story needs to be able to stand alone. Yeah, well, uh, in in certainly in the in the way that um, that I write and the way that we publish our books, it does. That's for sure. But um, I mean, as you know, there's many many beautiful books that um, have got very very few words at all, and yeah. the pictures are telling eighty percent of the story. Um, so I yeah. think it depends what the, um, the what the publisher wants, what the 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 way the author writes a little bit. Um, you know, the, everyone has different styles, and uh, they can cater for what the publishers are looking for in different ways. But I think um, the big lesson for everyone is um, that we don't have to be um, necessarily uh, following a, a certain um, path without um, straying a little bit uh, right. in, in, off the sides if we intuitively know that it's the right thing. Um, and um, most importantly for me, uh, most of the, the stories that I ever uh, publish and turn into books have, have been well and truly test-driven. Um, and um, that's a great way of getting that uh, that extra feedback that you need when you when you're turning something from a draft into a, a polished um, end manuscript that you can uh, put into a book. And, sure. and, and ultimately, there's a market for every style of writing and or illustration. I might jump onto the next question of the illustrations. Sure. And you mentioned Megan, um, your books are beautifully illustrated. I mean, you know, like just the vividness of of all of the <laughs> illustrations and the way that 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 Megan leaves enough. Um, sort of white space. I know it's a blue page, but you know what I mean. So that the text can stand out by itself, but she still brings the uh, Australiana sort of aspect to it. How how difficult was it? Um, and and what's your advice when it comes to finding an illustrator and then working with that illustrator? Well, it obviously depends. If someone's going to go it alone and publish independently, you get to say who that illustrator is going to be, and you do work. With with them directly. If you're um, looking at um, going down the traditional track, then the author won't have a whole lot of say um, no. in who is going to illustrate and and what those illustrations are going to be. Um, having said that, I've met a lot of people who, once they've developed a, a rapport and, and and done a few projects with a publisher, they do get to end up having a fair bit of a fair bit of say as well. Um, but uh, for for my journey, um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to Megan uh, before the first book. Um, so that was through my editor at the time, who was Sally Odges in um, Tasmania. Um, Sally's um, written a heap of books, and um, she's a wonderful uh, critic, um, very honest. Um, she battered my ego severely when I sent her my first couple of manuscripts, and I was a, uh, a shattered man, but I uh, bounced back and, and did as I was told. Um, and um, the uh, I, it was just uh, the connection to Megan was just a, a little bit lucky because um, I asked Sally if she if she could point me towards any um, illustrators that she knew that might match the quirky style that, that, that I wrote. And she did, she had a couple and, and Megan, um, we were introduced um, through Sally. I sent Megan the, 
the manuscript for the first Funky Chicken book. And uh, the same day she got back to me actually in texts and she said, I love the story. I'd love to work with you in the project. And she sent me some sketches of what she had in mind that the Funky Chicken might look like. And she sent about four sketches and they're all these different chickens. One had a long neck, one had big bulgy eyes and one had these skinny long neck legs. And so I, I sort of said, well, I like that bit on that one. And I like that bit on that one. And, and then um, five minutes later, uh, she sent through another one and it was it. And I said, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, so that was a match made in heaven. And, and um, so Megan, straight away, she, she picked up the, the quirkiness of the character and the story and, and um, the rest is kind of history. Uh, she's got an amazing imagination and, and she's a, 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 she was an early years teacher. Now she's teaching primary level. And um, the same thing, She um, when I send a, a manuscript to her, she's in the classroom with the kids. And uh, Mission Incrockable, Matt, yeah. I, wish I, ha- I wish I had it here because um, she designed the cover and then as a surprise, halfway through the project, she sent me a beautiful big book that she had printed up a hard copy, copy at one of the uh, printers in town in Adelaide where she lived. And what she had done, um, the, she had put the text onto all the pages. It was, it was mapped out for her. So she knew where the text was going to go. And she got her uh, year one kids to um, illustrate in full colour every page. And they made a special book for me of Mission and Crockable, oh, um, which was a, a one-off. Yeah, very, very special project. So, yeah, amazing, um, amazing lady, amazing illustrator. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What sort of challenges have you come across in your journey? Um, well, just because we made the decision very early to self-publish, um, um, and part of that was because, as you mentioned before, uh, writing in rhyme isn't something that is um, it's very difficult to get time published. Um, for, for everyone out there, this is um, this over the nearly a decade now that I've I've been in Kids Lit. My understanding of that is there's a couple of things. Um, one is that um, there's a lot of people submit rhyming stories, and the scansion or the or the, the meter is terrible. Yeah, um, it's horrible. It's, yeah, and this is where Sally Odges pulled me up right from the start, and it was um, I got two great pieces of advice from Sally. One of them was a good telling off for um, for not having it uh, in a in a state that um, it made any kind of rhythmic sense to her. So she said, go back, learn again about meter because you've forgotten it all and, um, and then send it back to me. So that was wonderful. I needed that really harsh criticism to, um, to, to, to get me to where I needed to be. Um, the other thing was that that's, um, Sally uh, advised was um, remember who is going to buy the book and that is going to be an adult of some description. So a teacher, a grandparent, a parent, make sure the book is, um, is, a, is an entertaining or enjoyable or relevant read that will engage them as well as the kids. So uh, a lot of people start with picture books because they think it's going to be easy. Uh, it's not easy. Um, you've, got to, you've got to please uh, f- four or five, six-year-olds um, and, uh, and, and their adults in their lives as well. So it's a big challenge to be able to do that. So um, coming back to um, about the... Um, you know, the, the kind of challenges I've had to publish, Matt. Um, I thought I'd just forgotten your question for a moment, but I've got it again. Um, <laughs> the um, So for, for, for me um, and Nadia, obviously we're business partners um, in this. We decided that um, rhyming 
books. It was going to take a long time to get them published. And also, we just looked at the economics of it um, to jump into a business full steam um, and basically leave another industry. Um, the, uh, the compensation would, would never come through uh, in time and potentially not at all. So this is one of the things I love about being an independent is that you can go out and you can um, you can uh, basically write from day dot. As soon as you get a book out in the market, well, you're the master of your destiny in terms of what happens with that with that book and how you um, can generate um, sales from that book, royalties in different ways, um, other work, um, events, all that sort of thing. All that is um, is then up to you, and uh, you're not reliant on on a third party to make decisions about what you might do with that uh, with that book or That's that right. story. Yeah, so is, I, I love that aspect. Yeah, the but, end, but it the is a lot of hard work. You know, I mean, what you do when you're traveling around and you're doing your own marketing and, you, you know, you're putting the bill for all this sort of stuff, you know, there is a lot of work into that. And sure. I, totally, I totally get you with the whole rhyming thing. I mean, I write in rhyme, as you know. Um, I, I advise people to write in prose uh, and get that squared away and then try and see if they can get the, the rhyme to work rather than forcing the rhyme, which is sort of hypocritical because I love to write in rhyme. That's how my brain works. And like you said, the syllable count and the stresses and what the stanzas being similar and all that sort of stuff is, is the key to rhyming. And it does make it more enjoyable for the adult to read as well as the children if it's got that bounce and it's got that rhythm and it's got that yeah. rhyme. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, um, the best thing to do, um, uh, one of the things that I, I do is give the, um, give the manuscript to a, a few people um, who uh, have never seen it before, um, who you don't know all that well, and uh, and get them to read it and listen to them read it because you'll see where they stumble and yeah. then it's up to the writer to um, fix that up so it be it becomes a, a fluent read for them first time off the bat because yeah. you'll find that if people are, are stumbling through the story um, then it's always going to be a challenge and and a, a bit of a a, a a task for them rather than something that's um, joyful and fulfilling. And that will pass through to the, to the, the subject that they're reading it to as well, if they're not comfortable um, reading it well out loud. So I think that's a key thing is um, don't be afraid to get outside opinions. And when you do, um, there'll be some things that you'll think, no, I'm sticking to my guns on this. And then there'll be other things you'll go, Oh, okay. I, I, I've definitely got to change that or improve it. So um, I, I do listen to other people, um, everyone except for family and friends. Yeah, that's right, because they never tell you the truth anyway. <laughs> um, and, and, the, and, the, and the thing you keep um, mentioning is the editor. And, like, I can't emphasise that enough. I mean, like, my first couple of books, I just went with what I had. Um, but having an editor, like you said, they come and they pull it to pieces and they tell you where, where you've made mistakes. And, it, and for the small amount that it costs to get your book perfect, it's well and truly worth it, especially if you're going down the self-publishing route. Yeah, absolutely. So find an editor, someone who's um, who's got the runs on the board as well. You know that they're they're in the industry. So um, uh, yeah, I can't uh, emphasise that enough either. It's really important. Yep, for sure. I was going to ask you what advice would you give an emerging um, author, but I think we've pretty much covered that just with that whole conversation about the writing yeah, and yeah. getting somebody else. So we'll just leave sure. that one as the answering that question. Yep. So, yep. Um, What's what's next for for Chris? You know, have you got new projects coming? You got another book coming out that we should be excited about? Well, um, I I have just launched a new book, Maddie, and it is this has been such a fun project. It is an environmentally themed book. 
and it is called The Things You Can Do with Blue Whale Poo. Ah, cool. <laughs> so um, this one was uh, launched in um, February, and uh, so it's only just come out, and it's a ridiculous story about very important stuff. Now, Matty, you might not know this, but Blue Whale Poo um, is hugely important to the health of the planet as we know it. So what happens with the big whales, not just the blue whales, but our humpbacks and right whales and all these these whales, right, actually every creature really in the sea, but the whales, because they poop so much, they have, um, they have great big flumes of it. And what happens is they call it the whale pump. And, and when they're feeding, um, they're obviously when they're feeding, they're pooping as well because they're feeding. Um, so when they're in, a, in a, the time of year or in the place where they feed, when they poop, all of that activity, they call it the whale pump, and, and that the nutrients um, and their, that, that are in their poop, and they're very, very high in iron, uh, they rise to the surface in the top sort of 100 metres or so of the ocean, and through photosynthesis, the phytoplankton or the plant plankton grows in it, and, uh, and then the, the zooplankton or the animal plankton, including yeah. krill, they come along and they eat that and then everything else eats the krill. That's a big so, step of life, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, look, um, the blue whales are 1% approximately of where they used to be pre-whaling. Um, they haven't really bounced back very much at all because uh, for a number of reasons, they're, they're, they're solitary animals pretty much. So they're only in pods of one, two or three normally. Um, and they, they're kind of opportunistic feeders so unlike the humpbacks who are powering now um they don't go down to antarctica to feed up to the tropics to breed so they um they're always cruising about in small numbers so they have to find you know a mate can be many many kilometers away they can communicate up to about 15 or 1600 kilometers too they're amazing um so um it's really important that we get our whale numbers up Uh, the more whales the more poop the more poop the more food um and the healthier the um the oceans the more abundance there is and the other thing that poop does um the 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 phytoplankton it relate when it's when it it stores millions and millions of tons of carbon dioxide dioxide from the atmosphere so they're massive sequesters of carbon and they release carbon dioxide um which is responsible for about 60 percent of the oxygen that we breathe yeah so um i read all this by accident Maddie in a, in a news feed on my phone about two years ago and I saw this beautiful picture of the blue ocean and this flume of orange gunk that was floating on the surface and I looked at it and I thought oh god here we go it's another um, you know it's another environmental disaster and it wasn't it was these orange they actually about golf ball size and they break down as they get to the surface but it was this orange flume of um, blue whale poop and then I read the story about it and for the first time ever a um a title came to me before any other ideas and I wrote it down, yeah. uh, the things you can do with blue whale poo. And I wrote that on um, Maclay Island in Brisbane in, in a beautiful little beach house and friend of ours have offered to me for years and I never took them up on it. And so I finally decided to go over there and spend a week there and isolate myself because about the only way I can, I can write. And, um, uh, and I was working on two other projects and I put them to one side. They weren't really going anywhere. And I pulled out this silly title and i just spent the whole week working on that and at the end of the week i had a a draft for um for that book and um that's hilarious because um you you just released an environmentally themed uh picture book and i've just written an environmentally themed picture book that so i'm not following you i'm not copying you mine's to do with with bees 
and the loss of bees and how it affects our planet, which is, <laughs> is quite funny. So it's funny that we, we, you know, we haven't spoken for well over a year and yeah. we've, both got, we've got, both got environmentally themed books Theme coming. Books. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. That's wonderful. awesome. So, what, so what's it called, Matt, yours? Uh, it's going to be Those Bees Stole My Cheese. Those bees stole my cheese. Yeah. Why do bees need cheese? And you go, well, they don't, <laughs> but they need you to do this and they need you to do this. And you know, Yeah, so, wonderful. I just awesome. think it's hilarious. Yeah, beautiful. Well, good luck with it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> All right, well, um, if there's nothing else, thanks so much for, for having a chat with us and making the time, Chris. It's been awesome. And I'm sure the emerging writers are going to really appreciate your insights and we've definitely got to keep a, a look out for that book. Well, it's it's out. It's in the, it's in the stores and um, it's all over the place. So um, the, We'll have to run down and get a copy. Hooper's taking over. Ha- hang on a minute. Hang on a minute, Matt. Hang on. There's someone. Uh, oh, thank you, chicken. <laughs> It's Maddie. Oh, okay. G'day, Maddie. Give us a wave. He needs to be. Ah! It's done. Hello. Who have we got? Funky. If we... Oh, I'm really good. Really good. Oh, I don't like those sharp teeth. They look a bit scary. I only like eating vegetables. A vegetarian killer whale. How about that, Funky Chicken? Ah, oh, beautiful. Good on you. Good on you, all. Right. I'll see you, Funky. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, well done. Well done. Thanks, Chris, really appreciate you spending the time, right, mate. Matt. Yep, pleasure. Okay. Catch you next time. All the best. Yeah, catch you later.